Welcome to Advancing the Conversation with Dr. Christy Carnahan and Dr. Kate Doyle from the University of Cincinnati's Special Education Department. I'm Ashley Barla, your host. We started this podcast in an effort to have real conversations about the role of self-determination in all our lives, specifically in supporting people with intellectual and developmental disabilities. If you're a teacher, a person interested in becoming a teacher, a parent, a sibling, or a person with a disability, this podcast is for you. We hope you'll join us on this journey as we learn about the role of self-determination in our lives. Hi, Mary Helen. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you, Ashley. I'm excited to be here. Yes, we are going to have some good fun together. Mary Helen, why don't you start by telling us about the work that you do, any research that you've done, community you serve, and and what's going on over there at the Autism Society? Great. So I'm Mary Helen Raker, and I'm the CEO of the Autism Society. And I can't believe it, y'all. I have been here almost five years in Cincinnati with the organization. That's incredible to me. So we at the Autism Society, we've been around 51 years now, and we really are the connectors or the gap fillers for the community. So there are lots of other people and places and organizations who do specific things, whether it's deal with housing or deal with employment or, and we connect families to all of. So it's a little bit of a jack of all trades as an organization. But the nice part is we can also be the hub for families, right? You don't have to go to your computer at 10 o'clock at night and Google what autism things are in Cincinnati. You really can pick up the phone and call us or email us and we'll be like, hey, tell me about your child. Let's see if we can connect you to the right resources for you at this moment. And so I'm not a researcher by trade. I know you asked for research. I'm not a researcher by trade. I'm a nonprofit professional. Which basically means they look at community needs and look at nonprofits and try to figure out how to build them to best serve the community and become long-term sustainably successful. Yeah, again, I feel like that says I'm a little bit of a jack-of-all-trades as well. I'm going to leave off the master of none part because I do think there are things that as an organization, as an individual, we might be pretty good at. But It does mean we have a breadth of knowledge, both myself individually and us as an organization. We, I will say that we as an organization, while it might not be formal research, we do look a lot at what are the broad community needs and listen to what are people telling us? And that can be families telling us that they have needs that they can't figure out how to meet or they can't find anybody to meet them. That can be professionals who say, hey, we recognize that there's a gap. And we do then a lot of community conversation to say, what do you need? How do we fill that? Can we fill it? Is there somebody out there to fill it? So that's probably the the type of research in air quotes that we do really. Yeah. And that's it is so broad and yet so needed. Mary Helen, what we focus on here at the podcast is self-determination, and we would love to talk to you about self-determination through the lens of that community organization support. So why don't we start here? What is self-determination 
from your perspective? That is such a broad question, right? And it probably means a different thing to different people. So from the community lens, where I come at self-determination is really the individual's ability to decide what they want to do, right? For this moment, for the next moment, for their life. Life, like that's a big one. But so that an individual gets to be in charge of their own future, whether that's the next five minutes or the next five years. Yeah, that's it. That's really beautiful. So you said you have been there for five years and surely you have seen self-determination at work. Surely you have seen growth in self-determination skills and that ability to, um, to make those choices and to communicate those choices. Maybe you could share with us an experience that maybe you have experienced personally in self-determination through your own journey or in one of the people that you serve over at the Autism Society of Greater Cincinnati. Tell you a little bit about mine first, because it's, it's an area that I continue to grow in, I think. So, and how it impacts other people. So I... I'm going to take you way back for a moment to my college days. So I have a minor in counseling, which I'm going to say is like this really huge feat for me because I will never forget this. I had a professor in one of my counseling classes as we were doing practicum work who about halfway through the semester came to me and was like, so Mary Helen, I feel like I need to tell you this. You will never make a great counselor. And I'm like, whoa, what? She's like, you get in there and you're like, let me tell you how to solve your problem. I am not, and all of you know me, so I am not a patient person. If I see a problem and I see how to fix it, I'm going to fix it for you because it is the easiest thing I can do. And gosh, I just want to be helpful. Hence the reason for being a nonprofit work. I just want to be helpful. Same, Mary Helen. We're in, in good company. I know. I knew that girl would understand that. <laughs> I'm this college student working on her master's degree in family and race communication with a minor in counseling. And my counseling professor is telling me, never gonna be a good counselor. This is a bad idea for you. And then stuck with me. Like, whole, I'm way beyond college now. So I'm not bitter from it anymore. I was for a while, but I get to, I get it now in a different way than I did back then. Because what I look at now is I sit in support groups with parents and with adults and I sit with teenagers and I listen to them and I'm biting my tongue going, boy, you make your life so much easier, which is really very self-fulfilling, but not very appropriate if you're working on allowing people that ability to determine where their life trajectory goes. So I have learned a lot personally about saying, that's an interesting thought. How have you? Rather than say, okay, seriously, if you just want to fix this, I will fix it for you. <laughs> for me, it's about looking at, I think my journey has been looking at other people and saying, you can make the decision you want to make. Whether they think it's the best decision or not, you're in charge of your own life. Because gosh, I would really hate it if somebody came to me in that same way and was like, so Mary Helen, I can tell you what you're doing wrong and I can tell you how to fix it. This is what you need to do. That really devalues a person. And it does not allow them, and particularly in our organizational world, it does not allow an individual 
who probably doesn't have a lot of decisions that they're allowed to make or able to make for various reasons, right, to ever feel in control of their life. And what a really sorry space to be in, right, if, if you're never allowed to do that. And then if you come to Mary Helen and she tells you exactly how to run your life, that's not cool either. So I think that's one of my biggest self-determination learnings. Wait, your self-determination learning led you to help other people be more self-determined. Crazy, isn't it? So beautiful. You know what? So I don't want to interrupt too much, but that is what we have a faculty member, Steve Kroger, who is really nested in the self-determination work we've been doing. And that is what he is. That is his over and over message. Like the only way you can help somebody else be self-determined is to understand your self-determination. And I was just thinking about an example of that, like listening to you, Mary Helen, there's a real example in my life where somebody was trying to tell us how to develop ATS and we had to get it on our own. And now there's somebody else trying to develop a center. And I want to say, and I think I maybe have said to you, just do blah, 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 because we've done it, right? And I'm thinking that didn't work for me. I couldn't have somebody else tell me, is that going to work for her? That really hit here but yeah and I think that's a good message for teachers right that's a good message for our audience that we have to be vulnerable about our own experiences and we have to experience we have to be allowed to experience self-determination ourselves before we can model it and guide somebody else to determine their own sense of self if you look at the verb that's literally what we are doing with self-determination The phrase failure is one of my biggest teacher comes to mind. And I think often as a teacher, as a parent, as a professional, we're afraid to let someone fail because like Mary Helen alluded to, we're helpers. That's really hard for us to stand back and do that. But you don't learn those lessons sometimes unless you fail. I know some of my biggest lessons came from failing and I wouldn't have learned it just by Christy telling me that being able to step back really is a skill set to develop and be thoughtful about letting people make those decisions, sometimes letting them fail. Yeah. I think it's one of the hardest things for us to learn. And again, I agree with you, Kate, because we are helpers. And gosh, I think of the stories that I can tell you about individuals who I have watched or supported during their self-determination journey and thinking, oh, please don't make this decision. Please don't do this. Because I can see, and it's always easier to see when you're on the outside. At times, I can see the pain that this is going to cause. I can see, I can see the big puddle you're going to step in. Please don't do this. And then having to say, okay, if somebody said that to me, what would I think? And how, if Depending what it is, how do I say to them, hey, have you thought of without saying, don't do this because this will happen and then accept their decision, whatever that is, because that's their journey, not mine. You said something that is so important. You, people can't be self-determined if they don't have enough knowledge, right? If they don't understand so self-determination isn't like throwing people to the wolves when they don't know what, what the result of the what will be. But it is saying, like you said, you don't have to say don't step in the puddle, but you can say there's a puddle there, you know, and your feet will get wet if you step in it. That's exactly it, Christy. It's the, 
and I look back. So I'll go back to my counselor story, right? I look back at my counselor and I'm thinking, gosh, if that professor had actually told me what she really meant, which was point out the puddle. It's okay to do that, but then allow the person to step in it if they want to. That would have made a really big change for me because it took me a long time. Self-disclosure, I'm 51 years old and it took me a long time to get to the space of, wait, I can act. I actually can do some of this work. And I would often, far too frequently, I think I felt like my self-determination journey was wrong, which is then projected that on, don't do the wrong things I did or don't. And I think that's also something that is pretty common that no self-determination journey is wrong. We might have made different decisions looking back on our journey, but it's how we learn. It's our journey. There's nothing wrong about it. It just is. Marie Helen, this kind of makes me think about natural consequences in parenting. So many parents are hesitant to use natural consequences because they're like, oh, no, they might get hurt. Oh, no, they might burn their mouth on that hot soup. And at some point, we have to let our children experience the natural consequences that are available in the world. And what it takes me to is maybe you could talk about how the conscientious mind of the parent and the sibling and the person that is more connected to an individual through love is gets in the way of allowing that self-determination to ha happen naturally and consequently why organizations like yours community organizations that support people with disabilities are so important it's more like a more neutral third party to support the person yeah that's Yes, absolutely. Let's talk about that. So I think when I look at, I'll tell you a story. So when I first came into Cincinnati and I sat with parents, the by and large theme that I heard from parents of adults with autism was I'm going to have to be immortal because I have to protect my child, right? So my child lives with me, my child doesn't hold a job, my child can't hold a job, like all of these things that, and no fault, no blame to parents, because of course, as a parent, gosh, what parent, neurotypical, having a neurotypical child or a neurodivergent child doesn't want to wrap their child in bubble wrap, right? And save them from the hurts of the world. And if we can make decisions for our child that will keep them safe, who wouldn't want to do that? This is natural and normal. And I think I really want parents to hear that. This is natural and normal. This is not something you need to be kicking yourself. So even when Mary Helen comes to you and says, gosh, immortality and protecting your child and wrapping them up in bubble wrap, we should think about this a little bit. Let's talk about what that means long term. Don't think that what I'm trying to say is you're doing something wrong. Your inclination is normal. However, what it does is creates a place where your child is eventually going to have to make some of their own decisions, right? At a point where you're not capable of being with them or, or you're not with them at the moment, whatever that looks like. Don't remove the safety net. Let them take these journeys while you're there to catch them when they stumble, right? Not to judge them, to 
process it with them, to think through when you made this decision, what did that look like? Was it, and I wouldn't say, is it a good decision or a bad decision, but what did you see? If you'd made a different decision, what do you think might've happened? Stepping in that puddle isn't always a crisis. It just means your pants got wet, right? If we'd have walked around it, what would have happened? So to me, and I don't know if this answers your question actually, but to me, when I look at parents and family members, you're coming at it with the right attitude. You really are. However, you didn't want your parents. Let's just be like real here for a second. You didn't want your parents to tell you how to live your life always. So regardless of the fact that your child has a disability, they don't want it either. They want to be able to be independent and make their own decisions. And the reality is little missteps and little mistakes lead to more understanding, more ability to process and see the world. And honestly, it's a better, safer, healthier place for your child. Ooh, did I just say that? Yeah. I have a follow-up question that I just I think is interesting, something we struggle with. I think that a lot of times, especially with adults, where we see this really coming in is related to things like what food can I eat every day and what activities can I do every day? So maybe just like share your perspective about that. I think it is health issues, but I also think it's then the easiest thing, right? That when your child chooses to eat only three or four things, then maybe you just cook those three or four things, right? Because it's easier. But I think we also then limit our child's world in a way that, depending on their age, they don't have control over. And what I think it, or they don't have options, maybe I shouldn't say don't have control over, but where if those options, more options aren't laid out to them, that you're not giving them the option of self-determination. You're not giving them the option of choice. And you're not encouraging them to broaden their world. I think those little tiny decisions, and yes, they seem huge at the moment, so I'm not trying to minimize them, but those little decisions about food or exercise or all those little things, they add up to adults not given choices. And if not being encouraged to explore. They, I think they lead to the more likelihood of an adult not knowing how to make those decisions. And not to mention that if your pants are on fire, a puddle may be good. Like I have a totally different personality than my mother and she would be like, oh, don't step in the puddle, don't step in the puddle. When I'm like, this puddle is fun. I haven't had so much fun. Since since I stripped out of the Talbots, Maggie Talbots outfit you put me in. So like our personalities also are a huge part of our self-determination. And we as parents and as educators and as community members can't let our own implicit bias and our own personalities and desires and wants. Yes get in the way of allowing somebody else to determine their own set of interests and values, right? right? Absolutely. Absolutely. So I have this great story. Several years ago, I worked with this, this family and mom had been diagnosed on the spectrum and so had their son and their daughter was in the process of being diagnosed, right? So when they came to programs, they came in with their head down, right? A real 
gosh, it looked like a walk of shame. It really did. They hadn't told any of their family, right? Nobody knew because they were afraid of the judgment. They were afraid of the, but here's the bigger thing, right? I learned two things, right? First of all, the parents of the adults in this situation were fairly rigid individuals. For good or for ill, that's what they were. So their child didn't feel safe. And this, we're talking about an adult child who has children of their own. What also happened, though, was mom and dad came to our program and were like, this is not going to be successful. I think that might have been before they introduced themselves to me. This is not, we're here, but this is not going to be successful. And projected that onto these children. I'm not trying to judge anybody here, but what I saw in was a child who was afraid to engage, a child who didn't know how to make decisions and was looking to mom and dad for decisions. And we're not talking about life-changing decisions, right? We're talking about, do you want to do activity A or activity B? So I think we, as parents, we have to step out of our comfort zone. As teachers, we have to step back and just as human beings, we have to step back and encourage those around us who are neurodivergent to stretch their wings. We're here as friends. We're here as parents. We're here as colleagues. We're here on your journey so that if you trip and you tell me you didn't want to do that, I'm here to pick you up. If you're jumping in that puddle and you're like, I know you don't want to be in this puddle with me and you would have told me it was a bad idea, but I wanted to be here, then I embrace that too. I might stand so I don't get splashed, but I embrace that and say, Good for you. Good for you making a decision and feeling good about that decision and owning it. There's nothing wrong with that. Mary Helen, I want to circle back and ask you another question because we do, I think our primary audience here are free service teachers, probably families. So you talked about your own self-determination journey and having to find your way to be, to pour the self-determination of other people. So that so resonated with me. And something I think that I and probably many of us still struggle with is we'll find ourselves fixing. And so we're in the moment of fixing. So when you find yourself forgetting the lesson you learned, right, what do you do? How do you approach it? Yeah. So anybody who knows me really well knows that I will give, when I'm in that moment, I will give my thoughts and I will be all helpful. And I'll be like, of course, it's your decision. I didn't mean to tell you what to do because... Generally, I catch myself after I'm two thirds of the way through and then I'm like, I can't stop myself. So I'm like, it's your decision. I didn't mean that. This was just one idea and it probably was crazy and it might not relate to you, right? So for me, it's being honest and upfront about it. It's saying, you know what? I just did what I would hate for somebody else to do. But the other part of it is taking each of those moments and learning a little more. and. So in some of the teachings that, that I do to others, I talk about slowing down and taking a deep breath before you give an opinion, give a thought, give a response. And I practice that, right? And sometimes I have to bite my tongue. And sometimes I'm like, oh, I have this. Hold on. Let's back up. And I'll catch myself doing that, whether aloud or in my head. I'm learning. And I'm going to tell you, this is a journey. So this is not something, do not think I have it all figured out. Because I think life is a journey. And when you stop learning, then you might as well quit. 
So for me, I think it really is a space of I'm human. I'm fallible. I'll make mistakes. I'm going to be honest and upfront about it. And I'm going to try to do better next time. And then I ask all of my friends and all of the people I work with, hey, please understand that if I just gave you advice, that's all it was my opinion on. You throw it out. And if you don't want it, stop me mid-sentence and say, hey, Mary Helen, I don't want that advice. So be conscious of that. It's natural. I think teachers, it's natural to want to fix something, right? To want to help to make things easier. Do a litmus test check. Do you want this or do you not want this? I had an elementary school principal tell me that she used to ask students, she was in a middle school actually prior to this placement and students would come and complain. I've got a problem. And she would ask us a series of three questions. And it was like, are we fixing? Are we venting? Or are we asking for scaffolded self-determination advice, basically? I don't remember the last verb that she said, but do you just want for me to solve this for you? Are you just complaining and you don't want my advice? Because you know what happens when you do that for teenagers with typical abilities and or neurodivergence. Or do... Are you asking me for guidance? Maybe it was, are we guiding? And I have tried to do that in my own parenting. And I think that's exactly what you just broke down, Mary Helen, is like, what exactly is the speaker looking for or the actor if they aren't able to speak that those emotions? Exactly. Helen, I think you so, you well articulated that this is a universal component of parenting. We all are trying to figure this out but I do think there's an added layer of having a child with a disability that may just, I think, would be helpful for some families to have some additional support. So what are some resources that you would recommend for families to have that additional audience to bounce ideas off of and problem solve and say, hey, have you been through this before and how did you navigate it? So honestly, I think being with other parents who are in similar situations. And I'm going to do a little plug for us, right? We do a lot of support groups. So, you know, we have a parent support group where families come, parents come, caregivers come and talk about, hey, this is my issue. And it's a different issue than you might have with a neurotypical child, or it's at a different age, right, than you might have with a neurotypical child. So parent support groups, we started one for severe autism because our parents with kids with severe or profound autism, and I know there's no great word there, so I'm just going to use those, but that they can come and say, okay, we have a different issue than even parents of kids with autism who are not on the severe end of autism um, have. Find your people, find your community, and honestly, give us a call and we'll help you find those peeps. We just will. What are some questions you, we just spoke to a speech therapist and there really is, I think, a component of finding a therapist and support system that understands self-determination. What are some questions you think that parents and families could ask therapists to get a sense of, will they support that piece? Wow. And any of you can that jump that's a big question. So I think first you have to find a therapist that your gut says you like, 
and that your child or your individual's gut says they like. Now, they might not be able to figure that out right away, but trust your gut. And I don't care whether you're neurotypical or neurodivergent, trust your gut. I also think, though, that asking questions like, how will you support my child to make their own decisions? Don't sugarcoat it. Just ask it. Yes. what they say. And if they hem-haw or they give you something that doesn't feel right, then they're not the right person for you. I would be straightforward. If you have a specific concern about your child or your individual, or as an individual, if you have a specific concern, ask it straight out. And ask, get a straight answer. And if it's not a straight answer, they're not the right person for you. I think I would add to that. To the extent that my child is struggling with that, what supports would you put in place so that they can make their own decisions and be more self-determined, but on their own terms? So how are we going to scaffold the support so that they can get there, so that we're addressing the executive functioning and mental health piece that could get in the middle of it? And crazy, but as you were saying that, Ashley, it made me think, This is going to sound like a crazy question that why would you ask a therapist this? But ask them what self-determination is just like you asked me. Because if their definition doesn't resonate with your definition, again, probably not the right fit. Yeah. Mary Helen, we like to wrap up around here with some fun. So here's here's a set of fun questions. What are you reading right now? Oh my gosh. So I am reading, if y'all haven't read this, you have to. I'm reading Herbally and a Half by Ali Broche. It, oh my gosh, y'all, it is one of the funniest things I have ever read. And she delves into depression and some other disability things, but absolutely fascinating. Cr- laugh till you cry reading. What so, genre is it? Nonfiction? Is it like her? It's, it is a memoir and it is, it's a little bit like it, it's most colorful, most, it's like a cartoon book for adults. Man. You haven't got, seriously, you've got to look that one up. It's fun. What are you listening to? Oh my gosh. What am I not listening to? So I'm like, I'm like everybody else, right? I love Brene Brown. I will listen to Brene Brown and everything she does multiple times. I'm also an Esther Perel junkie. So I love her. And I think I'm going through her housework podcast for the second time because I think it's just simply amazing. And then because you cannot listen to one or two things, you have to have something for every mood. I am finishing Autism's First Child by John Donban and Karen Zucker. They're the authors of the book and movie In a Different Key. And that is, I think I'm listening to it for the second time because there are just so many good nuggets. And I will say, don't listen to that when you're driving because I'm driving and then I'm going, wait, where? I just missed my exit three exits ago. Um, I, that might just be me, y'all. I don't. <laughs> no, I think you're Resident. in good company. We, you, we are four birds of the same feather. I think. <laughs> Mary Helen, thank you so much for joining us. This has been a real pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. I enjoyed it. Thanks for taking time out of your day to join us. If you are interested in learning about the University of Cincinnati's special education, undergraduate or graduate programs, please visit us at online.uc edu backslash special education. If you are interested in learning more about our programs for young adults with intellectual and developmental disabilities, please visit 
C-E-C-H dot U-C dot E-D-U backslash A-T-S. We'd love to hear from you. Please send us an email at advancetheconversation at U-C dot E-D-U.